from Hyde Park United Methodist Church in Tampa, Florida. This is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm Monica Largis, your host today. On this week's episode, Matt and McGray talk about both Galatians and Ephesians with the Reverend Dr. John Christensen. John Christensen is the lead pastor at St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Williamsburg, Iowa, and an adjunct professor of the Upper Midwest Course of Study program through Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. He received his PhD from Bright Divinity School in New Testament studies and has a keen interest in the first century Greco-Roman world. He was also a seminary classmate of McGray's at United Theological Seminary, where they both received their Masters of Divinity. Their talk today helps shed light on the differences between these two letters and the people to whom they were written. We have an opportunity to learn more about the ministry and person of Paul. They have a helpful conversation on how a modern audience can read and apply ancient biblical texts. It ends with Dr. Christensen's favorite imagery in Ephesians. Now on to the episode. Well, John, it is a great pleasure to have you join us in our Bible Project journey to talk about Galatians and Ephesians, a section of the Bible that I know is of great interest and experience uh, for you. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Well, it's great to be here. Good to see you, McGray. John is a seminary friend of mine, been a a friend of mine throughout ministry, and it's just great to reconnect with you. So let's talk about Galatians. Uh, What can you tell us about its origins, or at least what we surmise about where it came from in terms of authorship and audience and and timing? Okay, very good. So um, Galatians is um, one of the Apostle Paul's uh, letters that he wrote to a group of people. And uh, if we we turn to the first chapter and the first verse of that book, uh, his authorship is, is identified right there. Uh, like it is in, in the rest of his, his letters. And uh, who is he writing to? Uh, lots of people have maybe heard of Galatians, but we're, we're not 100% sure where that is. Um, so if, if you turn in the back of your Bible, most Bibles have a map, um, and it's what geographers call the Central Anatolian Highlands. Uh, you can impress all your friends at the water cooler by knowing that. Uh, but today, what, what we would, would call that is the, the middle part of the country of Turkey. And so who Paul is writing to, he's writing to uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish folks uh, who are followers of Jesus, who live in this region of Galatia. Um, and it's uh, a Roman province, one of many provinces across the Mediterranean. And uh, Paul is writing to people he knows. So he's, he's been there and lived with them for some time. And now he's gone on elsewhere, and he's writing back to, uh, to communicate with them. Uh, what can you tell us about the, the timeline in which this letter may have first been circulated? Scholars say that uh, Paul's career lasted uh, as, as one who traveled and, and preached and, and talked about Jesus and, and formed uh, church communities from around the year 50 to around the year 64, And uh, scholars are kind of divided as to where Galatians falls within this. Uh, There are a group who tend to date it towards the end of that time. And there is another group that tends to date it towards the beginning of that time. Um, And I'm, I'm part of that second group. I I tend to think that it's, it's an early, one of his earlier letters. 
uh, maybe around the year 55-ish or so. Uh, it's kind of hard to pin some of these things down. Um, but that's, that's where I kind of have come out. Um, and my reasons for that are that many of the themes that Paul mentions in this letter as far as uh, Jewish identity and how do we include Gentiles uh, within the church, uh, these are more fully developed in other later le- letters, uh, such as Romans. So if we're thinking about the broader themes, you've already touched on one of its uh, essential ideas of being uh, the relationship between Jewish identity and Gentile Christians. Uh, do you think that's the central theme? And if that's the case, what, is that, what does that suggest about what's happening in the community uh, that makes this kind of letter necessary to give them. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a, a very, um, that, that question gets right to the, the heart of what Galatians is about. Um, so in, in most of Paul's letters, it follows a very typical pattern of a greeting and a, an address that praises God. And then there's a nice prayer for well-being. And then he gets into the body of the letter uh, before he has a closing. In Galatians, he skips the nice prayer, and he gets right into it, uh, right there in chapter one. And he he starts out very pointed and very hot and very angry. And the reason why he's so upset is because of something that he's heard. The end of chapter one and into chapter two, we find uh, Paul describing what is going on in the church in Galatia, and it seems that there have been a group of teachers from another place who've come into the church and are teaching the Galatians that they need to essentially adopt all of the Jewish Torah, all of the laws of Moses, including uh, the food laws, the ritual uh, celebrations throughout the year, uh, the dress code, uh, and circumcision as a sign that they're going to live according to God's law. Now, what Paul has been teaching them prior to this is that as as Gentiles who have heard about Jesus and want to follow him, they don't need to do all that stuff. And so for Paul, this is really uh, sort of a litmus test. It's It's a real important point for him theologically and spiritually, because I think for him, the the idea that Jesus is returning soon is so ever present in his mind. And the, the, one of the signs that this is happening is that Gentiles, people from nations far away, are going to be coming into uh, the community, into the people of God. And so he sees the Gentile inclusion in the church as, as one of the, the signs that Jesus will return uh, real soon. And, and so this is what he's taught them. And now these other teachers are coming by and, and they're saying, no, no, you have to do all these other things. So, so Paul is, he's pretty irritated in this letter. He, he's, he's, like I said, he's pretty hot and, uh, and has a lot to say with, with very pointed language uh, to them about that. So yeah, your, your question about, uh, you know, what is the, the issue at hand? Um, I, w- I would say it as this, if you're a Gentile person, do you need to become fully Jewish in order to follow Jesus? Do you need to do that first? Or can you follow Jesus with maybe some minor course corrections to your behavior and, and your, your ethics and your, your outlook on life? So this is a, a real important question in the first probably couple centuries of the church. Uh, we see this in a variety of places in, um, 
in the New Testament. Um, so Paul, Paul is a very like unvarnished approach about this. Uh, he's writing in the heat of the moment. Uh, and when we turn to Acts 15, it's a similar story that's told there. But it's, it's kind of a rosy picture that, that Luke writes there. It, it's a har- very harmonious and there's a compromise worked out and everyone says, okay, wonderful. And they go on their way. Uh, and we don't see that here in Galatians. Um, and and I, I, f- I find it really interesting to contrast those two stories when I'm, when I'm reading about this. John, I, I thought of Acts 15 as well when you were uh, the Jerusalem Council um, and how uh, I believe it was James who said, you know, we shouldn't put stumbling blocks in the way of the Gentiles or make it hard for the Gentiles to come to Christ. And that feels like that's also Paul's ethic as well. And part of the reason why he's so frustrated here in Correct. Galatians. Yeah. And uh, it's very interesting, though, that Paul's take on James and James motivations and maybe the people that he's sending out is different than we see in the book of Acts. So if you read in in Galatians, um, so chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, uh, there's a story that Paul relates of a time when he and Peter were in Antioch. And they had had gathered a number of Gentile uh, believers in the community there, in the church, and they were all doing wonderfully. They ate together, they prayed together, they worshiped together. And then Paul says, certain people came from James, from Jerusalem, in other words. And he accuses these people of being splitters of the church. He accuses them of being factionaries because they want everyone uh, to follow all the Torah as a sign of their faithfulness to God. And then Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. So so, so Peter is sort of torn in two. He, he goes back and forth. Uh, and we, 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 Paul tells the story as an illustration. So, so I'm not sure that, that Paul's take on James is the same as Luke tells us uh, about James, <laughs> if you can say it that way. Yeah. I do love the contrast you're painting between the, the noble portrayal of the decision to be inclusive in Acts 15 and the reality and the messiness of living into that inclusion that we get in the book of Galatians, it, it feels like that's a, a, a living contrast even today for us, that we might hold inclusivity as a value, uh, or at least try to hold inclusivity as a value. But when it comes to living into inclusion, relationships are messy and dynamics in, in, in churches and other bodies are messy. Well, in addition to being a scholar and a professor, uh, you are also serving as a pastor and preacher of a local congregation. And I was delighted to hear that you even recently preached a series on Galatians. And so this question really ought to be a, re- a relatively easy one for you. What what passages do you think are meaningful for a local congregation to extract wisdom for living in the present day? Are there particular passages you think are important and poignant? So I, I preached through the entire book of Galatians after you invited me to do this podcast, and, and that gave me a good excuse to, to do some reading uh, in this book in a way I hadn't before. So, so thank you, first of all. Well, thank you. Uh, no, no problem. And, and I guess I would say there are probably two that I think are especially uh, relevant. The first would be chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. Uh, And this is one of a couple places where Paul talks about the new identity 
that every person gains when they're baptized into Christ. Mm-hmm. And old divisions are no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the divisions he talks about are Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, male and female. Um, you know, today we might talk about other divisions that we have in the world. But because of this common, um, common baptism that we share as Jesus followers, there are more important things uh, and ties that we have than any of these other old identities. So I think that has quite a lot of relevance uh, in today's you know, divided and, and broken world. Uh, another passage that's related to that would be in chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And, and here's the sort of the famous, for freedom Christ has set us free. Yes. And, and you know, for me, the idea of freedom is, as an American, one that, you know, we talk about regularly. But the trick with this passage is that freedom is never to be used for self-indulgence. But it's the point of it is that we are free to serve each other in creative ways. And so, so Jesus' commandment to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, Paul refers to that here in Galatians. And, and he goes on to say, we should use freedom well instead of bickering and fighting. And if all we do is bicker and fight and use our freedom to be self-indulgent, selfish, we'll wind up devouring each other. And that, I mean, it's such a... It's such a powerful statement, uh, you know, in today's, today's world, um, you know, when we split into factions, nobody wins. And in fact, everybody loses. Well, let's skip to the book of Ephesians, and we'll follow the same basic questions as we asked of Galatians. Let's begin first with its origins. What can we surmise about where this letter came from and, uh, and to whom it was um, Like Galatians, Ephesians 1.1 begins with with an identification of who wrote it. And it says it's written by Paul. Now, the interesting thing about this uh, letter and and other letters, a couple other letters in the New Testament are, are many scholars are a little doubtful that it was Paul himself who actually wrote it. And they have a variety of reasons for that. Um, And and I should preface all this by saying that, that none of this takes away from the status of these letters as part of our Bible and as part of our scripture and our guide for life. Um, but if we're curious about like how all the building blocks of our faith came together and, and how the New Testament uh, came to be as it is, uh, these are questions that, that scholars ask. So, so the observations that they make um, start out with the fact that Ephesians is a very different style than other letters of Paul. Uh, so, for instance, the the sentence structure in Greek is extremely long. Um, if you look at chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 14 is the opening prayer. And in English, we read that, and it's like, you know, 12 different verses, and it has a variety of different sentences, and, and we can read right through it. And we would never know that in Greek, the, the, that entire passage is one sentence, <laughs> right? So right away, there's a, a big stylistic difference. Um, and when scholars look at the vocabulary used of the, of the actual individual words, there are 116 words that are not found in other Pauline letters that we see in Ephesians. So right away, uh, they start to say, hold on a second, this letter is different than, than other letters. And from that, a number of scholars draw the conclusion, well, maybe it was one of Paul's followers who, who wrote this uh, after his lifetime, 
Uh, maybe it was somebody in his circle of, of acquaintances who wanted to honor him and to continue his preaching at a little bit later time. And, and they did that uh, with his name attached to the front. And this was a pretty common thing back in the ancient world. So again, when we get to the themes of Ephesians, uh, what do you think are the essential themes and what does that suggest about what is happening in Ephesus that makes these themes necessary? Right. So the, the big theme that I see in Ephesus is unity and celebration. Uh, there are a number of passages throughout that talk about how because of Christ, who is the head of the church, we're all part of the same body. Because of God, uh, God's sending of Jesus, uh, we're all part of the same household. And uh, in chapter 2, there's a place, uh, chapter 2, 11 through 22, uh, it talks about being no longer strangers and aliens from one another, but we're all one family. So there, there's a very, uh, very much of a, a unified feeling uh, that you get is going on in this letter which we really don't see in Galatians, uh, by contrast, or in, in some of the other letters. Corinthians, Paul has some is having some disagreements with, with people as well. Well, John, you mentioned that the themes of unity and celebration are uh, core themes. Do you think those are important for us to hear today? Well, well certainly. Um, you know, with all the, the pressures we face in life, um, both within our churches People have different ideas. People have different visions of where we should go. Uh, we also have pressures in our lives from a whole variety of circumstances. Uh, in our country, certainly, there are different voices calling for our attention and inviting us to go this way or go that way and, and uh, not trust each other. Uh, so, you know, for me, the message of you know, unity is important. The message of who we need to be as one people, I think, has has a lot of um, a lot of resonance today for me, and, and probably for a lot of us. So, John, one of the more interesting and perhaps controversial passages in Ephesians is the the household text about the relationship between husbands and wives in chapter five. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, about this passage and perhaps in general Paul's views of of women. But, but you know, as a, a male and and as a pastor, I think it is important for me to to say things to men and women in my church about how we read passages like this. So you know, there there are a lot of uh, my female clergy colleagues who who've told, talked about experiences they've had where people come to them and say, "Well, you can't preach because you're a woman," and it says this here and there. And, and uh, you need to you need to stay home and, and be quiet. Um, and and you know obviously we don't practice that, nor do we believe that or, or interpret the scripture in that way in the United Methodist Church. And I think that's entirely appropriate. So for me to stand up and say, look, we need to take this very carefully. All of these household codes, um, we need to be very conscious of the cultural situation that Paul is writing in, or in this case, not Paul, uh, who wrote Ephesians. He's writing at, a, the person who wrote this is writing at a later date than Paul, I think, um, and, and putting in some, some cultural things that were very appropriate maybe for the time, but probably aren't anymore. So I'm sure your other 
guests have talked about that at length, but I think for me as, as a, a pastor and, and a male figure who, who can talk about these things, to say that, to say, you know, we can avoid this. We don't have to just repeat the same old, uh, same old, same old. I think that's important for us to, to, to model and to, and to talk about. In the ancient world, beyond the New Testament, there are, there, there's sort of a typology of, of writings called the household code. And these uh, elite aristocratic male authors had some very particular ideas culturally about what the best kind of life should look like. And so they're writing to other men about how to act like a moral and ethical person. And so they, they think about the kinds of relationships that these men might have. And so they think about a husband and a wife. They think about a father and his children. And they think about a master uh, who's commanding and, and owning slaves. And so we see this kind of threefold typology brought into the New Testament at certain places. And, and these are what we call the household codes. So, you know, when, when I look at them, I, I'm always very aware of their cultural context. And I'm always very aware that we don't live like that anymore. And so while it might be tempting because, you know, I, I'm married, I have a wife, if I'm open the Bible and, and imagine or, or look for wisdom about how to be a good husband, I would be maybe drawn to this passage. But I need to be very careful how I read that because it's, it's from another time, another place. And, you know, today, none of us would, would ever say that owning a slave and being a good um, a master of another person is, is a moral or ethical thing to do. We've, we've set all of that aside, thankfully. Uh, so, so we really need to take the other pieces of this, uh, which sometimes reinscribe gender stereotypes. Uh, we need to really be careful when we read passages like this uh, here in Ephesians and elsewhere in the New Testament. Well, speaking of appropriating cultural paradigms and metaphors, we get this text, which I understand is one that you really like, the Armor of God passage in chapter 6, where Clearly, he's tapping into some cultural reference here with an armor. Uh, Why do you like this text? Of course, of course. Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. So much of my uh, academic work, I've done studies of the Roman military, and in particular in the New Testament. So throughout the New Testament, there are actually quite a lot of military characters and military images or metaphors. And the armor of God language here in Ephesians 6 is, is one, of those, uh, one of those images. So the, the word that, that is used here is panoply. That's the Greek word. And you, you may have, I don't know, sometimes that's referred to in, in songs or, or you may have heard that word somewhere. Um, but, but, but a panoply is basically a soldier's uh, kit, his, his gear, his accoutrements, that he puts on when he gets ready uh, to go into battle. And so this entire passage here from, you know, verse 10 uh, through 20 talks about all the different items that a soldier in the Roman army would wear when he went out to, uh, to do his work. And, and I think the, the interesting thing is, is it, is it, you know, like, like any good preacher, this takes a, an image from the modern world and it translates it and, and twists it and, 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 you know, turns it into something that is applicable to the gospel. 
And so the, the writer here takes this image of a soldier and says, okay, let's imagine a soldier and let's imagine us like soldiers, except we don't have, you know, a literal sword. We have the sword of the spirit. We don't have a literal helmet. We have salvation. And so there's this comparison and this, this metaphor that, that's built there. Um, so the, the, the one thing that I, I do want to point out is that all of the, the commands that are given to the believers here are plural. So we often don't see that when we read in English because it says you should do this, you should do that. Um, and, you know, being a, a good upper Midwesterner, I, I don't use the word y'all very much. I understand, <laughs> I understand some people do, though. But that's yes. really... We, yeah, yeah, d- d- yeah, we all do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we need a y'all translation of the Bible. <laughs> There's probably one out there. Yeah. So, so this, this whole passage is, is very directly telling us to do these things together. And that actually builds on the way that the Roman army worked. So the, the Roman army worked in units, it worked, worked in cohorts, it worked in centuries and legions. And anyone back in this time period would have known these things. Um, so the idea of the church working as you know an individual, that's really not what we're supposed to be all about. We work together and we help each other to do all these things, to pray, to be faithful, uh, to to be peacemakers in the world. So all the things that are mentioned in this, it's, it's never a solo endeavor. We work and we're better off when we work together. So I, that's one thing I really like about this passage as, as I read it and try to apply it for, for my life in the church. What a joy it was to have Dr. Christensen join us for this week's podcast. We are still worshiping online Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. You can join on Facebook or at hydeparkumc.org live. You can also connect with us on Facebook. Search for The Bible Project 2020 and request to join. Matt Hotha was the producer for this week's episode, and I was the editor. I'm Monica Largess. See you next week. <laughs>